Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Here we go again, Brendan here with Mark, vetgurus.com. Head over there, look at our previous episodes and um, I just noticed, Mark, there's jumping ahead of myself here. Um, we had a few emails this week and one of them was a potential veterinarian who li- loves our podcast and he's he said he was a little bit daunted that he has 127 more episodes to listen to. So he's listened to a few of them, but he has a few more to go. So Friday, April the 30th, episode 134, this one. So Another one to add to his list to listen to, and we will be chatting about these emails shortly. Mark, I, I, I know um, I did talk to you about this, but things are going well with the computer, um, and I spent, well, probably only three-quarters of an hour last week upgrading the computer that I'm talking on here now, which is a Mac Mini. Pulled it apart and uh, pulled out the hard drive and upgraded it to a solid state drive. Um, for those of you who know what that is, um, it's a 2012 Mac Mini. So I'm actually quite impressed how that it, one it was still going, um, and that's fairly typical, I think, of the Apple computers. They tend to last a fair few years, but I'm just amazed at how well it's going. And I know you did mention to me just just buy another one, just upgrade it, um, and I thought, no, I'm going to have a bit of a crack at trying to trying to up yeah upgrade it rather than replace it and um, it's been working fantastic and I must admit and I'm not understating it here it's probably 1,000 times faster <laughs> at least 10 times faster Mark so I'm, I'm liking it and I think I sent you a pick or two didn't I you of, did of, I, of the repair I, I, the upgrade I'm so glad it was you doing it and not me because I, I think it'd still be in those scattered pieces around on the floor if I'd tried to do it <laughs> It was, um, funnily enough, I found it quite therapeutic and I just took my time and I quite enjoyed doing it and it was um, fairly easy to do. And as usual, I looked at plenty of YouTube videos <laughs> um, for doing these sorts of things and, um, yeah, there was a bit of technical knowledge required, um, copying or cloning of the operating system across, etc. But, um, yeah, it's doing well, so I'm hoping it will plug away quite nicely and fast, fastly, um, fast for the next few years mark and i think it saved me fifteen hundred dollars doing it that way so that's another another good reason why i'm i'm happy mark i'm happy at the moment you you're you you definitely have an eye for saving money i i i wish i had that i'm i'm far too um i don't know disorganized to uh find those are you trying to say it's my shout next time of course you're trying to say (laughs) okay No, um, I think it is your shout, actually. I, I didn't have any money with me last time we we, we um, met each other face-to-face. So um, what have you been up to briefly? Do, anything of interest in what's been happening in, in, in your suburb, your house, your family? Well, I, I've been I, – I was telling you before we came on, it, it feels like I spend um, – well, a considerable portion of my life on um, on Zoom these days. Uh, uh, um, whether it's um, uh, we there's a clinical rounds I'm involved in that um, is on Zoom. Uh, our uh, state board meeting was on Zoom. Our AVBC meetings on Zoom. The the I feel like um, I, I'm starting to become a little bit of a um, I don't know 
used so used to those. Um, I'm starting to experiment as I go through the meeting with the what the little buttons at the side do and trying to generate um, those alternate backgrounds and have chats to people um, in the sideline and and you know do the thumbs up and whatnot. So, um, so it, it, it looks like you're in Paris one minute and then you're in um, San Francisco Arizona the next. The next <laughs> <laughs> do you think I don't? Th- I, I, I meant to ask you. Do you think that people will think I'm bored because I'm doing all those things, not paying attention to the meeting? Yeah, perhaps. Perhaps. Um, have you Have you mastered the art of making it look like you're still there and you've gone off for a coffee? And, I did. Um, I did see um, that uh, uh, someone that I talked to on uh, Twitter mentioned that they they their child was supposed to be doing their homework and. Um, doing their schooling, you know, the distance schooling, and they saw them, um, 10-year-old, out kicking the ball around the yard and they sort of took them to task. Your teacher's going to, like, be so upset that you're not paying attention. And he said to his mum, you know what, I, I've uh, just taken a photo of myself and and there's, like, 30 of us in the 20, whatever is it, 22 in the class. She won't notice that I'm not moving. <laughs> I've got at least yeah. half an hour. <laughs> Maybe you should put it on a little spring or something and give it a flick and walk away. I have a little fan next to it. Um, so you've got this print out of your head and it just sort of wobbles every now and again. That's what they should do. Yeah. Um, I must admit with some of the teaching that I've done online that uh, they've tried to encourage the students to have their webcams active and, um, yeah, it's Interesting, some of the things you see <laughs> or, don't, or don't want to see. Um, yeah, um, most of the vet, veterinary nurses or, or the technicians that I've been doing teaching with, they they um, tend to have their pat, pets sit in with them. So um, they have a rabbit or a cat or a little dog or whatever on their lap or knocking over their little computers or microphones and that. So it's quite entertaining. Or a guinea pig, there's been some interesting um um, pets there so keeps everybody awake because yeah they can be quite tiring can't they those sessions especially if you're on for you know two to three hours at a time which I know you have and I certainly have as well you're mentally fairly exhausted at the end of that yeah so yes so enough about zoom I think we should jump into our review mark and um, I did hint at it last week and now that both of us have watched this series it it is certainly something that we could not not review and that is Tiger King Murder Mayhem and Madness so the series that has been screening on Netflix and I think most of the well most of the planet um, knows about this particular series even if they haven't watched it and um, we're quite controversial here and for those of you who don't know about it and um it is something that i suggest you consider watching and it's what's described as a as an american true crime document documentary miniseries um and it's mainly about the life of a zookeeper or an owner of a a wildlife park called joe exotic um although he's real surname was wasn't originally exotic he changed it by depol i think and um yeah it's had many many tens of millions of, of viewers and it's it's a bit of a train wreck isn't it mark um and it's a bit of a train wreck it's it's a massive yeah. train wreck it's, it's um, um every time you, <laughs> you go oh my god that has to be the worst thing i've ever seen it, it just plums the next depth it's yeah, it's and uh, gee, I tell you what, it 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 um it really 
polarizes people, doesn't it? This series um, for various reasons. In that, some people think it shouldn't have been shown at all. Um, not just about um, um, what happens with some of the animals there, um, but also what happens with the humans there, and and perhaps how how the documentary makers portrayed or or, or put the package together um, about some of the characters if we can call them that mark um in this particular series um what's your overall impression of it what did you think um i it made me disrespect myself it made me think that i could be um i didn't realize how easily i could be manipulated it was like that you know you you just couldn't stop watching and i don't know i don't know the exact like um uh, the exact uh, mechanism inside people that makes them look at that stuff. I've read um, some some uh, thoughts that you know it's a way that people can say, "Oh, my life's normal. Look at you know, look at that's abnormal. Uh, my life's um, you know morally much more sound than that." It allows people to take some form of high ground um, and uh, and look at um, some events that that um, you know cast their life decisions in a much better view but i don't know it's just it's just so upsetting to me that something that was rank with um ethical themes um was just completely ad hoc just jumping from one uh uh, vista disaster. of disaster yep um it didn't it didn't dwell on the the conservation of tigers or the management of tigers in zoos or the problems associated with that it it uh it really just concealed that under a surface layer of um of of you know that they're exotic it you know the behavior of the lead character joe exotic um is by any external observation ethically repulsive it should there should be no that like sympathy for the the manner in which he conducts himself and yet the way that um the film is made the way that it that's um emphasized the the, the it's um it d- turns his bizarre behavior into a strange series of eccentricities and almost makes him a likable character and then um Carol Baskin, who who once was uh, someone who held cats, cat, big cats captive as pets, but you know had a a, uh, uh, um, a moment where she realised it was wrong, and now has become a, a zealous agent of of stopping people keeping cats as big cats as pets. Um, the it 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 really turned her by filming her in particular ways by presenting her in particular ways turned her into a villain um i don't know it it's very very uh ethically questionable and and all this stuff is done i think brendan just to get people to watch it yes it's i I think you you sort of hit the nail on the head there with you can't stop watching it um you watch one and and it was what i'm just looking here um there were eight episodes yep um and 
yeah, you finish one episode and you think, gee, I can't wait to see what happens in the next. But yeah, you feel a bit dirty watching it, yeah, don't you? That's, um, that's that you right. need to go and have a shower or something. <laughs> it, um, yeah, it was, um, and yeah, I just, and I have, perhaps you've dug a little bit deeper than I have with, with looking at the actual true stories, if, if that's the way of putting it, of, of, of these real people and events that are portrayed in it, although it is a documentary. Um, there's always that concern the way um, documentaries are cut together. Um, you know, whether, I, whether I often think about this. You, you've been on TV a number of times with um, various veterinary shows and, and I remember this. Funniest home videos. Yeah, I was <laughs> on one once and I was really scared about the way that, you know, I would deliver my lines and, and, um, and appear. I didn't want to appear like an idiot as I usually do. And the producer of the show said something that has stuck with me more than two decades later. I still remember them saying, um, don't worry, you, we will get you to repeat this several times. We'll have several takes and we will make you look good. In this show, we won't look good unless you look good. So don't worry. And um, and I think that the converse is true, that if they if the producers and, and uh, filmmakers decide that you're the villain, they can cut the footage they have of you no matter how um sincere yes, most, they can turn you most into definitely an- and i've i've had both ends of that mark where you you, you know that they they have an agenda with a particular story yes. um, especially when i was working as a zoo veterinarian that they come into the park and they want to have it as a funny silly yeah, you know oh, funny silly animal <laughs> story Oh, sorry, I think Siri just um, went off there. <laughs> Saying I've got twelve appointments, I better get moving. Um, and um, yeah, they don't. It doesn't matter what how you deliver your lines. Then Mark, they just cut it um, to to make it appeal a funny, silly little ha ha story if they want to, or or ignore the the point you are trying to get across. So um, that's where it's good to have. Um, you know, reporters and um, journalists you can trust um, with that sort of thing and build up a bit of a, a trust, but um, mutual trust with them. And and that was my concern with, with this particular um, production there, Mark. And, um, yeah, and, um, well, I, I think you mentioned that the concern was that they didn't really talk much about um, the tigers themselves or the unusual pets or exotic pets. And But I, my thought was it came across fairly strongly that, um it's crazy that people shouldn't be keeping um, big cats um, as as pets and and most of these exotic animals. But because, because I did touch on some of the other species as well, I thought it was reasonably clear. Um, but so you've got to tell me just quickly before we fold up. Who was your favourite character and who was your least favourite character? Uh, who was my favourite character? My <laughs> my least favourite character was that. Um, Oh, I can't remember his name, I but know. he was a fairly Doc, large man. Doc Antle. Or was it Doc Antle or the No, it was, yes. it was the larger larger man yeah, um, I know who, who who struggled a bit with his weight. Um and he had a little he had some little shop that looked like a a, 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 a little um um petrol station, a, a drive through station that was converted to a little shop that he had at some stage near the end of the series. Whatever his name was, he was my least favourite. I just didn't trust him at all. Um my favourite one, um oh, well there's a few well I felt I must admit I felt uh, and 
perhaps I was being manipulated here, but I felt sorry for a fair number of the characters there, um, including the way they, they sort of went backwards and forwards with Carol Baskin making her a villain and then a hero um, and, um, and, and back again. Um, but probably, well, my two favourite ones would be the woman who um, lost a limb. So, uh, so I've got to just point out to you there that that's one of the flaws of this um, uh, Saf Safari that um, is a trans man who ah uh, yes yes yes, yes and right, and yes. was never was always misgendered all the way through the the, the damn thing um, and just that like rubs me the wrong way. That's right. Yes. No. You're correct there. That's so Saf. Yep. Um, I felt. Um, Probably yeah. um, a bit of a connection to the most because I think, yeah, Saf was um, authentic. The meat, Saf meat was the authentic. Meat, the meat in the sandwiches. I wish <laughs> you hadn't said that. Poor choice of words. <laughs> um, what about you? No, no, I agree with you. And, um, um, I, I had, I was actually a little bit scared of Doc Antle. He sort of seemed to have some, I don't know, you know, the the charismatic magic that. Um, some people exert over young women, um, and um, uh, I could. Yeah, he was just a sleazebag. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, I didn't have much time for him, um, and um, and definitely Saf was. Um, yeah, I thought uh, you, the fact she was just he was just there for the um, the the animals was self evident. That was like the only reason he was there and um, involved and and wanted to be there and all the decisions that were made by um, Saf were in the best interests of the animal. So the only true, truly admirable person in the series, I would say. Yes, and um, I don't think I could give it a score, Mark, because I'm a bit <laughs> ambivalent about giving it a score. Um so it may remain scoreless this one unless you want to give a score. Out well, of 10. I'm, I was sitting on the. I would have give it five because it was half good and half bad. <laughs> okay, we'll leave it at five. Okay, enough about our um, little Netflix review there. But I, I do encourage our listeners if they have not listened to it or watched it at least, um, at least do a bit of research on it or perhaps just watch one or um, the first episode. But I'm sure if they watch the first episode, they will continue watching and thinking, um, well, um, probably have some choice swear words will be coming out of their mouths, Mark, as they see what's happening and their jaws will be, their mouths will be opening um, with a gasp. Um, yes. Well, okay. Kate couldn't watch yes. it. Could Annie watch it? Um. No, she didn't. Yeah, she didn't. I did ask her to watch. She, she, she she's into her Nordic noir crime, <laughs> crime thrillers. Um, yes. So she watches all these crime thrillers and and loves them. Um, and, um, and they've often got some horrific murders and that in there. But she can't watch anything that's not a a murder mystery um, with 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 any violence in it, <laughs> even though they they have them. Yes. Um, okay, so let's jump into our quick two news stories. Into, um, and then we get on to our main topic. And I think you're going to talk about the cone of shame, Mark. I, was, I, was, I love this article because it, um, uh, I think the, I was just, it, the study was done by researchers at um, Sydney University's uh, Veterinary Science School. Um, and I think 
at least one of the researchers, the study supervisor, was our good friend, Dr. Anne Fawcett. Um, so I feel a connection to this article in that regard, but I also feel a connection because, crikey, Brendan, I send so many animals home with uh, Elizabethan collars, um, and it may speak to, uh, as far as dogs and cats go, it may speak to my low level of surgical ability that um, I do... Uh, if they don't go home with something, then um, there are some times where they'll lick the wound and get into, you know, complications. So we regularly send um, routine surgeries home, not invariably, but often with uh, an Elizabethan collar. And this study shows, well, I sort of think it's nice to have it uh, recorded um, but a lot of it I would have thought was intuitive, Brendan. The the um, the study which surveyed owners about the collar's impact on their pet's uh, life in general, um, they reported that the collars routinely interfered with drinking and playing. Um, they sometimes caused additional injuries. They sometimes caused irritation and made for new sores that... Um, you know, weren't at the surgical site but were around the neck or whatever. Um, they're useful to prevent self-trauma, but obviously um, they come with their own set of risks um, uh, that, uh, you know, I'm sure we all have stories of um, of animals bumping into things or um, because of the inability to use all their senses because the cone does obscure no the origins of noise and obscures vision and probably plays a role in um, uh, messing up their sense of smell. Uh, um, so it does impact on their quality of life. Um, they did get 434 respondents from around the world um, and uh, there was a clear uh, result that um, a worse quality of life score resulted when the companion animal was wearing the Elizabethan collar. Um, so I, 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 I will think twice about sending the next animal home with one, particularly if I've done an excellent subcuticular layer and it sits neatly and there's no sign of irritation, Brendan. So... They're laughed at by their friends, aren't they, when they have the Elizabethan collar on, which is what we thought always was the case. So, yes, um, a good little study that year. I quite enjoyed it and um, good on you, um, our little friend there, or our ex cheat. I reckon how many publications has she done? Um, and she's done um, a lot, hasn't she, because she's always popping up with little studies here and there. So... Um, I think she's completing a PhD. Is that correct or not? I, or am I, I don't know. I, but I, I, she, out there? she has an the one of her favorite, one of my favorite um, uh, publications that uh, she was a co-author of is um, an excellent series of cases of veterinary ethics, um, and uh, I love the way that um, she deals with those complicated questions that vets get to answer. Maybe we should review that book at some point, Brendan. Sounds like a plan, Mark. Well, my first and only news item is a quick one, Mark, and it's a little study that was done in the UK, and the title of it is Do Rabbits Need Each Other? 
effects of single versus paired housing on rabbit body temperature and behavior in a UK shelter. And it was only 45 rabbits that they studied, um, which comprised of 15 house singly and 15 pairs. And um, they were just trying to compare the welfare in single versus paired rabbits. And their their summary was on cold, well, part of their summary was on cold days, rabbits adopted compact postures more and, and relaxed postures less frequently but um and the ones where they were obviously in pairs they tended to cuddle up um aggression was never observed in them and the results indicated that social housing reduced bar biting aids thermoregulation and may help buffer stress and their final line was rabbit owners should be encouraged to meet the needs for rabbits to be housed with appropriate conspecific in a suitably large sheltered enclosure. So I think it's just another little study, or the, and it is a little study, that um, confirms what we tend to recommend to our clients, Mark, um, that we rabbits should be kept with other rabbits um, and we, we like to provide social interaction for all those species that need it, which is a large percentage of them. And um, unfortunately, um, we still see new clients that are purchasing rabbits where they're only purchasing one rabbits but we're lucky enough then we have a big rescue shelter here in melbourne that's always trying to rehome rabbits and they do bunny dates mark um, where you can take a bunny up to the shelter and they will um, bond it um, with with another rabbit and um, they have an extremely high success rate and probably because they have about 250 rabbits at any one time that they're trying to rehome so um it doesn't take too long usually to find a little friend for them. So, yes, is, is it something you, you recommend for bunny owners, Mark? Of you, course you really it is. It? Of course it is. We, um, we like the fact that, um, uh, that our clients will uh, make sure that their rabbits have um, company. Um, we, well, I think I was just trying to think. We, I'm sure I can't put my mind to it right now, but I'm sure we've got um, some... I think there's some hand-reared rabbits. I would say this. There are some hand-reared rabbits that don't socialise well with other rabbits. Um, I, I, the, the, much like kittens that don't get that exposure to their own species when they're very young, I think there's some rabbits that might not be suitable to be housed together and so are okay to be in a home on their own. But I think the vast majority, the 99.9% of rabbits um, that have been uh, reared within a um, you know, a fam- rabbit family, they benefit from um, spending time with uh, members of their own species when their humans can't be with them, Brendan. Yes. And there are always exceptions, aren't they? And and I've certainly seen rabbits that just hate other rabbits and no matter how much you try and bond them with another rabbit, regardless of what their history is, they just do not cope Um and and yes, a large percentage of them are likely to be ones that haven't had the the socialisation when they are young um, with them. And the other dip, the other ones where I tend to recommend not getting a, a, a companion mark is when we have two bonded rabbits, which is what we what usually happens with most of our clients. And ninety nine percent of the time, one of them is going to die before the other. That they're not going to both die at the same time. And if they're aged geriatric rabbits, and we've got a you know nine year old or ten plus year old rabbit um, that's left on its own, um, 
they're the ones that I'm I'm a little bit reluctant to to try and rebond with a with a new youngster or a middle aged rabbit because sometimes it's can be quite a difficult process for those ones. So um, unfortunately, those ones when they're 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 left on their own. Um, um, a large percentage of them, I find, um, will bond much better to their human um, friends then and um, live out the rest of their life as a single rabbit, yes. Exactly so, the same at our place. Have you got a single rabbit? Are you <laughs> no, talking about yourself? No, be, yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> me. Yeah. Well, our main topic is in reply to a couple of emails, and we get these emails um, We've had a few emails along similar lines and um, in the past couple of weeks we've been having an increasing number of emails, which is great. And I think it's because people are bored sitting at home and they <laughs> flick around and listen to new podcasts and that's what's happened with a couple of these. And, and one of them is um, from Michael in Australia here and um, he um, – well, he said I, we, he gave us a five-star review and he said it was because he had too many drinks, um, so he's not quite sure whether he should retract the five-star review. Thanks, Michael. Um, leave it up there, please. Um, and he wants um, – he's got a few questions about trying to get into um, veterinary science um, and um, what should we be doing before beginning a degree and a career in veterinary science? Which university should I apply for? How should I maximise the chance of receiving scholarships, etc.? He had a whole whole list of um, um, questions there, Mark, including his interest in in doing unusual um, pets or wildlife or becoming a zoo vet and how how to get into that. Um, and the other one is from somebody across the other. The other side of the world, and that's from um, Zachariah um, in the USA, and um, he is in Southern California, and he's hoping to transfer from his community college to a four-year university course to um, complete his BA in chemistry and then go on to veterinary school. And he had uh, similar sort of questions in, you know, how can he get into vet school? What what should he do apart from the academic side um, to get into the vet course and then to get into the area or the niche of, of veterinary science and the field he's interested in? So fairly similar emails, Mark, and I know we've, we, we get these questions from students when they are seeing practice, not that they are at the moment with the current situation, but um, that they, they're often what we end up spending most of the time chatting about when we have um, vet students in final year marks in practice they they we we talk about getting a job and keeping a job and 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 getting a position in a in a particular field of veterinary science that they have an interest in so do you want to kick it off with with a few thoughts mark well i do brendan i i want to first of all say that um that the world has changed since you and i went to vet school, so maybe we shouldn't be providing advice. But when you and I went there, it, I remember finishing um, uh, school, and if you didn't get, you know, what you wanted, if you didn't get the HSC mark um, that you needed to get into your course, your life was pretty much over. There was one pathway, and if you didn't get that, then things were tough. But the good thing for young people these days is that there are a myriad of pathways to get there and they should not necessarily give up on their um, ambition of becoming a veterinarian if they first don't succeed getting into a veterinary school uh, straight out of university. Um, and I would even go a little bit further. I, I 
think that sometimes it does you a little bit of good to maybe not just flop straight into vet school, but to do a few other things. And I know um, that people often, you know, young people in a hurry, they, they, and I understand that they're going to, whether it's in the US or in Australia, they're going to accrue debt, uh, acquiring that education, um, particularly in the US. But I would say to them, whatever fears they have, um, whatever stress that debt might um, hang over their heads, the benefit of doing something that they love vastly outweighs it. And uh, however they can get into the degree, um, I think it's worth exploring and pursuing if it works for them. Yes. the And looking at those two emails, Mike, um, thinks he perhaps may be a, a tad old for it, saying he's 27, gee, to be that young again, Mark, um, <laughs> and that he thinks becoming a wildlife vet seems like a very long, challenging process. And um, I'd reiterate what you have just said there, Mark, in that, gee, that's, that's, that's not too old there, and um, he's got plenty of time to to work his way into things. And um, especially in getting into a niche area like um, Mike wants to become a wildlife slash zoo veterinarian and it is a niche area within a in a small profession there. But um, I don't know what you say to vets who see in practice at your um, practice, Mark, um, students or vets who want to get in the zoo or unusual pet field. I, I say, look, if you have a passion for that area, um, majority of the time it seems to work out in the long run. Um if if you're keen and you just keep plugging away, you just keep plugging away, and we'll talk about some of the processes and ways to get known. And it's the same as with any position. I think it's it's who you know um, rather than what you know with a lot of these things. And we've spoken about before with 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 marks that you get once you finish um, vet school, not necessarily in indicative of what positions you will get apart from some of the academic positions um, need to have a fairly high grade um, to be move straight into academia sometimes but um, it's 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 more so your personality how you deal with things and how keen you are and if people know you and the way I fell into unusual pet work and zoo work is exactly that. I started doing a little bit of um, part-time work in the in the zoo in a private zoo, um, and then from there I got asked to do the odd locum in in a in a much bigger zoo, and started going to conferences and the Wildlife Disease Association um, chapter here in Australia, and I go to the annual conference and you'd start meeting people and putting faces to the names in all those papers that you see out there and publications and you think gee I just met uh, Mark Simpson gee um, uh, uh, he had a halo around his head um, it was great to meet that legend and, and you'd you'd meet all these people and you'd think um, um, gee um, it'd be nice to be employed by one of them at some stage and guess what when a job comes up the first thing they will be looking for is um, we need an exotics vet or we need a zoo vet. Um, who do we know? And then they'll start thinking, gee, who was that person who volunteered to help with the capture of the kangaroos or the koala catch-up or, or whatever? And then they'll think, gee, that was Brendan who spent a bit of time and, and um, um, in the bush and, and um, a week or so with us um, and, and helped us and he seemed really keen and he seemed to get on well with staff. Um, that's how they're going to select um, the people. So it's getting known, isn't it, Mark? It's getting your face out there, getting the contacts 
contacts um, and, and getting to know people, going to conferences, joining clubs, getting involved with the online communities. And the good news there is these days, gee, we didn't have it, did we, in the, when we graduated, all the Facebook pages and all the groups within Facebooks and the, and the groups within organisations like VIN and the Australian Veterinary Association and the equivalent associations worldwide um, and joining all of those. And, and joining most of those, especially the online ones, are... They cost you nothing, um, and and even if you just hover there, um, you don't have to post initially. And I know I felt intimidated by all the people that were posting on all these forums um, when when I first started lurking on them, Mark. And there's no harm being a lurker there. You learn, you absorb a lot of stuff there, and then at, at some stage, you just got to bite the bullet and jump in and dip your foot in the watermark and, and, and jump in and um, you'll probably drown, but you'll be right. Somebody will pull you up. Um, and, and that's what I'd recommend doing. Um, yeah. I reckon you've, you've – um, it's networking, isn't it, Brendan? It's um, – Exactly. And I've summarised it in one word there, Mark. <laughs> I particularly like you mentioning the Wildlife Diseases Association and I would um, – uh, I would um, draw people's attention to that organisation um, as as one of the the uh, main groups to get involved in, um, and and as well, I you know here's a um, I, I admit to a, um, a vested interest, a conflict of interests. Um, I reckon um, UPAV is an excellent forum for that stuff as well. There's a network of people who are largely in private practice, but they all have a, um, a particular interest in exotic pets and a significant proportion of them uh, do a lot of wildlife work. And so I think um, building those connections, networking. Um, the other thing I think that's really important about networking is that not only does it, as you said, put your name out there as a young person who's interested in that field of work, but it also gives you a, um, you know, that scaffolding. It's not going to be perfect and you're not going to get the first job you apply for. And there's going to be, as we all know in life, heartbreak along the way. But if you're part of a community, if there are people who, um, who've who you've connected with and you're in contact with through social media, through your vet degree, um, and they see your passion, um, then they can provide support when you hit those hurdles that ensure that you'll uh, continue on and eventually achieve your goal. Yes, and I will put links to most of these organisations, including the Wildlife Disease Association and the UPAV is here in Australasia, Unusual Pet and Avian Veterinarians of um, the Special Interest Group of the Australian Veterinary Association. The other two ones that, that are applicable for people who are interested in unusual pets and, and wildlife are the Association of Exotic Mammal Veterinarians, AEMV, and the reptile equivalent is ARAV, the Association of Reptile and Amphibian Veterinarians, and I'll I'll put links with with of those as well. And the good news is all of those um, organisations and more um, have student memberships, which are either very cheap or, or free to join. And they they're constantly um, trying to help out students, and a lot of them, including UPAV, have. Um, um, great little scholarships as well, trying to encourage students to present at conferences as well. What do you reckon about um, uh, 
some of those the the questions that um, I think it was uh, Mike had listed. Um, I think that um, what what the the take home one. What what if you were talking to your your younger self, Brendan, and you were beginning your um, your uh, post school. Um, career, what advice would you give yourself? How would you change, not that you have any regrets, but how how would you, what advice would you give young Brendan as he's uh, just finishing school? Too much, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, don't do it. Don't do it. Stop being an idiot and um, stop trying to do those silly pranks you did at university. Most of them didn't work. Um, don't try to be as funny as um, you thought you were at uni. Um, I don't know, Mark. I mean, to be try to be serious. Um, uh, I, I was just hang say, in there. Don't yes. don't you know? Just just hang in there. Um, you'll get there. And um, I the, think des- the, only- the destination is not as important as the journey. Just start the journey, and you'll be surprised. Like you might have a a view of a particular role in a in a uh, zoological facility but but the journey might take you somewhere else and and I know that in the future veterinarians are going to play an ever more critical role in one health in and particularly just at the moment when we're uh, thinking about uh, zoonotic diseases leading to um, uh, pandemics vets are going to be central to that in the future and more and more conservation uh, uh, events uh, processes are going to require the skills that veterinarians have so you might not end up where you think you're going to start but it's the journey that's going to be fun Brendan and I must admit I'm about to cough so I'll just put myself on um Mute for a set, Mark. So you need to <laughs> fill in for ten seconds. Well, I think, and the key thing about that journey is that um, you've got to take the first step. You've got to like decide. I'm going to um, make a move to get the the uh, the marks, the qualification, to get into vet school. But then, you know, keep your eye open for those opportunities, the the networking that you do, um, and enjoy the journey. That's what I say. Yeah, and I don't think. I think you're spot on with that you'd, you'd be surprised where you'll end up. And what I was about to say was, looking back at the group that I completed veterinary science with, it, it's amazing where they've ended up. Yes, a fair number are still in some way connected to veterinary science, but some of them aren't. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And I think one of the things I often say to students is don't think you're a failure if you don't go into private practice, for instance, which is where most veterinarians end up initially in the first few years. Um, And even broader, it's not necessarily a bad thing if you don't stay in the veterinary science field because it is a a great degree in order to provide you with a general science background. And it's amazing where some veterinarians um, end up. Um, And gee, some of the vets that were in my year, they've ended up being amazing pillars of veterinary science and other industries and and some have a fantastic life and they don't have to be out there and be top of a profession to be um, still fantastic people and um, they've thoroughly enjoyed their veterinary science degree and um, they've had careers in other 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 um, industries mark so um, 
you know, I sort of fell into exotic pets and, and wildlife and that. It wasn't something that I picked from day one. I think I was going to just be a dog and cat veterinarian, which is what I was for the first year or so, but I had an increase in interest in unusual pets and ended up going down the track of becoming a, a zoo veterinarian from there, whereas another vet in my year um, who you know Mark, um, Peter, he, um, from day one in first year, he wanted to be a zoo vet. He was a hardcore zoo veterinarian and um, has sort of semi-retired now, but he's still, he, he did become that and, and he ended up with a, a doctorate in, in zoo medicine and um, is a hell of a lot smarter than I am. Um, and But he was focused from day one to be a zoo vet. Um, so I think it's important to keep your options open and it's what I say to my girls because they've, um, especially Sophie, the younger one, she's doing her biomedicine degree and in second year I, um, she keeps thinking, gee, what am I going to do? Will I stay in biomedicine? Will I transfer over to the to the more specific medicine type co- courses like um, human medicine or, or dentistry or whatever? And I say, well, just, you know, just plug away, just end up doing the subject you like and um, it'll take you um, where, it, where it wants to. And I think we tend to think that we need to have a, a defined path. And for some people, that's what they need and that's their personality. They need that, that defined path from day one. But I think as we get older, Mark, we realise that sort of we get blown this way and that um, regardless of what we think we're doing. And um, um, and you just got to go with it. Like you say, it's a journey um, rather than the get in there um, and speaking of journeys um, we've got to get out of here <laughs> <laughs> we've been a little bit longer than we should but um, hopefully we've we've um, answered um, or at least um, some of the questions that um, Mike and um, Zach have um, asked us there and um, we're always happy for people to fire emails to us um, vetgurus at gmail.com is a place to send the emails and um, we're more than happy to chat about um, topics and we, we're often replying to emails privately as well um, not necessarily doing a podcast about it so don't think that you'll um, be called out on the podcast we certainly won't do that unless you um, unless you specifically want a topic there um, and um, with that I think we'll get out of here Mark and we'll talk to you all next week after you've all binged watched Tiger King thanks for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi thanks again and see you next time we